Thank you, Abila family. Love how you brought everybody into that, to be a part of that. It was awesome. So good to see you. So good to be together. Um, I don't think I have to tell you this, but I love Sundays. It's, uh, it, they, they come around on an amazing regular basis. Every seven days, we find ourselves back here, and it's just so good to connect with you. You probably know what this is. It's a bicycle tire, stating the obvious there, right? Well, a bike is a, is a great tool. We were in Amsterdam this summer, and uh, it is a biking city. Um, although I know that Edmonton is uh, maybe trying to encourage a little bit more bike riding. It's a little hard in a winter city the way that we have. But a bike wheel is um, quite an interesting engineering thing when you think about the weight of a person uh, sitting on a bike with two wheels. And what it is, basically, it's made of three integral parts. you got the center hub, you got these spokes, and then you have the outer rim. And then, of course, on the outside, you have where the rubber meets the road, right? The tube and the tire that, that match it. But these three things, the hub, the spokes, and the rim, create this integral structure where everything is interconnected, right? The hub has the spokes that connect to the rim. And if you, in fact, tighten one of these spokes up, it, you can change how true that wheel turns. And so if you put a little more tension on one side than the other, your wheel will basically be out of alignment. Now, the bike tire, I believe, is actually a great illustration of the Christian life. I think I've used this before, but it's been a long time, so maybe it's a reminder to you, or maybe it's new for you in the first place. But when I think about this bike tire, I look at the Christian life in this way, that Jesus is the hub. He's, he's the center. And then all of the different activities that we might do or be engaged in are these, these spokes, and ultimately, the life that we then live is the way that this wheel kind of comes together for us. And I think typically, we too often tend to compartmentalize our lives. We separate our work, maybe from our family, maybe even from our faith. And so we say, well, this over here is my spiritual activity. This is somehow separated from work as if work couldn't be a holy activity in and of itself. And it's almost as if we sometimes leave Jesus at church. But what would our lives look like if Jesus, in fact, was at the center of everything? That as we follow him, we bring him into everything that we do. We're starting the new year here at TCC by asking a very important question, and it's simply this. How are we intentionally walking with Jesus? And so last week, Pastor Adam introduced this short series by reminding us of Jesus' invitation to come follow me. The invitation is to become a disciple of Jesus, and the activity of following Jesus is discipleship. He concluded that in order to follow Jesus, we should consider having a rule of life. Today, I want to pick up where Adam left off, maybe have a little bit of review, but really then to have us consider how we might follow Jesus with purpose and intention. Why is living with purpose and intention important? Again, Pastor Adam had a great message about discipleship last week, and so if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can find it on on our website or on our YouTube channel. But by way of quick review, it's important for us to understand and to be reminded that Jesus' invitation to each of us is to discipleship. 
When Jesus invites his people to come, follow me, he is inviting them to spend time with him, to learn from him, to to become like him, and to act more like him. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And so this training is discipleship. And discipleship describes what is happening when the apprentice becomes more like their master or when the student becomes more like their teacher. Another term for discipleship is formation or more accurately, perhaps, spiritual formation. And the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Galatians, talks about how he agonizes for them to be spiritually formed. He actually says that he is, quote, in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's Galatians 4, verse 19. In the pains of childbirth. So he, he so passionately wants this that he is agonizing and laboring, as it were, over this to teach them about what it means that Christ would be formed in them. And again, this process of being formed by the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus is what we call discipleship. And as disciples of Jesus, we live under the lordship of Jesus and the authority of Scripture. And that is Jesus' invitation. He's basically saying, look at I'm Lord. I want to be Lord of your life. I'm master. Come, be with me. Follow me. Learn from me. Become like me and act like me. But this doesn't just happen on its own. We may respond to the invitation to come, but fail, in fact, to follow him. And we need to work at it. We need to be intentional about it. You see, if we aren't interested in being a disciple of Jesus, if we make no effort on our own, it's unlikely that we will be formed spiritually. We just won't grow as disciples. The Apostle Paul, again, in writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, work out your salvation, okay? Now, we are saved by grace. There's nothing that we have to do to earn salvation. But then he turns around and says, but work it out. Work out your salvation. And then he adds, for it is God who works in you. And so there's this unique partnership that as we follow Jesus as we intentionally engage in practices and and activities that, that help us become more like Jesus, the Spirit of God is doing what only the Spirit of God can do in our work, in in our lives, and developing and changing our character at times, developing fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those good things that Paul writes about in Galatians as well. And so our purpose, our goal, is then to become more like Jesus. But that won't happen if we aren't intentional. And some of that intentionality starts very simply with examining our own lives. As we start this new year, and as you reflect back on last, last year, you might be thinking, well, what are some of the activities and what were some of the highlights and all of that? But let me take you to another place. What if you go back to last January and say, okay, it's been a year. Am I a little more like Jesus this year than I was at, la- like at this time last year? Is there a noticeable difference in the way that I interact with the people around me? Is my life increasingly marked by joy and patience and kindness and self-control? 
Or what do my daily activities reveal about my desires? That's another really good question to ask. The things that I do on a daily basis, how do they demonstrate maybe what I love? Because we become what we love. Here, how are another question maybe say, how are the things that I'm engaged in forming me? How are these things shaping me? Just really paying attention to these kind of activities in our lives and and what they're doing to us. I mean, we've talked a lot here over the last few years. You know, we've gone through COVID and we were actually at times encouraging just, you know, try to stay away from the news cycle. Like I found this in my own life that the more I watch news, the more I would tend to just kind of, you know, get a little more discouraged, a little more down. I, I, I just, it would just, sometimes it would just outrage me or whatever. And it, it brought up things in my own life that I didn't actually like. So how are the things that I'm engaged in forming me and shaping me? And then am I willing to abandon those things that are actually hindering me from becoming more Christ-like? And so how will I intentionally walk with Jesus? You see, in order to be formed spiritually, we have to ask this basic question, then how do we become more like Jesus? How do we become more like Jesus? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that it is when we live with purpose and intention. And so how then do we live with purpose and intention? One of the things that I recognize about our church, and it doesn't matter what size of church, you can be even in a small group of people and realize that each of us is unique. Each of us is incredibly different. And there's great diversity among us on so many different levels. But one thing that we all have in common is the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 168 hours in any given week. The difference and where the diversity comes is what we choose to do with our time. In other words, time is never an issue when it comes to discipleship. It's what we choose to do with it. In the passage that was read earlier for us, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and challenging them to live as children of light. He exhorts them to find out what pleases the Lord, and then he writes, verse 15 of chapter 5, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Isn't that the truth? In our culture, in our way of life, there are so many distractions, so many things that pull us away from following and obeying Jesus, much of it, in fact, evil. But God's word comes to us and says, listen, Be very careful. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention to the way that you live your lives. And he's really setting out a warning here. Be careful. I'm warning you, he's saying. Be wise about the way that you live. Don't don't be foolish about this. And make the most of every opportunity. 
For you see, as disciples of Jesus, that's exactly what we do. A disciple is someone who is careful about the way that they spend their time, is wise about the use and investment of their time, and desires, in fact, to make the most of every opportunity that comes their way. They're quick to discern when this is a unique God moment to be fully present and make the most of that opportunity. It's been said about our financial stewardship, show me your checkbook and I will show you what you value or what you love. And I think the same can be said about the stewardship of our time. Show me how you spend your time and I will show you what you value, even what you desire or what you love. This is why our first invitation of this new year was for you to track the use of your time this past week. We provided you with a time journal to help you do this. And when you do it over a week, if you chose to engage in that activity, you will start to see some patterns emerge. And the intent is for us now to to look at that and actually identify our current rule of life. We all have one already. You see, we all engage in activities and practices, likely on a daily or weekly rhythm. And sure, there are some things that might be on a monthly or an annual rhythm, but most of it is daily and weekly. And the question that we have to be asking ourselves, and it's a critical one, is this. How are the activities or the practices that I'm engaged in on a daily and weekly basis, how are these practices forming me? Are they helping or hindering us? in our desire to become and behave like Jesus. And so I want to take some time this morning to to consider uh, the use of a rule of life and unpacking this idea of a rule of life. Pastor Adam talked a little bit about it this last week, and we'll talk a little bit about it more today. And we've talked about a rule of life before. This isn't new uh, at TCC, and it certainly isn't a new idea in Christianity. And I think it's because what's happened is largely due to the chaos of our culture. A culture that is increasingly described as lonely and hyped up and stressed out. Everybody always seems to be in a hurry and angry. It's why we have road agent incidents. It's why people can express their outrage on social media. It's why we tend to live very scattered lives. They're, they're full, but they don't really align with and reflect our priorities. We live very hurried lives, we're busy, and we tend to be more reactive in that we're always responding to things rather than being a little bit more proactive and being intentional about the use of our time. And the end result is that we're just exhausted, and we become weary, discouraged, and life just seems to, what, the proverbial, you know, treadmill that we're just on and running and just trying to keep up. The fact is, as humans, we can't sustain that pace. And so we see more people burn out, flame out, crash out, and something needs to change. And what I'm trying to get you to think about today is just how important it is to be very careful how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. And so more recently, this 
idea of a rule of life, which is really an ancient tradition that could be traced back in Christianity about 1,500 years, has resurfaced. And it's all designed to bring us back and fill what I believe is a deep hunger and a longing to live a well-ordered life, a life that is actually structured around sustainable rhythms. A rule of life is simply this. It's a schedule and set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Namely, to live life to the full in his kingdom and in alignment with our deepest passions and priorities. And because we all are different and we have different passions and priorities, there can be some similarities, but there's still lots of differences as well. And a rule of life contains relational, spiritual, and vocational rhythms that are needed to sustain the life in Christ that we've been called to. And it doesn't actually change much from year to year. Maybe initially, and we'll talk a little bit about about that process of engaging in it and tweaking it. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, pastor and author of Emotionally Healthy Spiritually, he defines a rule of life as an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. And he goes on and adds, the starting point, sorry, the starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love Him. Ken Shigematsu, he's a senior pastor, 10th Church in Vancouver. He wrote an excellent book called God in My Everything, where he really develops this, this idea of a rule of life and having a rhythm of life. And I'd encourage you, if you want to dive in deeper, that's a great place to start. It's just called God in My Everything. And he captures the image of a rule of life like being that of a trellis. And in fact, that's not a new idea to him. It was originally the word for rule was associated with the idea of a trellis. And so any gardeners among us know that any plant that grows as a vine, it requires a trellis. It requires a structure. And it's, the, it's not that the trellis is in fact not what causes the growth of the plant, but it simply provides a pathway for that growth. And so in the same way, human effort cannot produce spiritual growth. Only God can do that. However, this does not mean that we then remain passive in this process. By prayerfully developing a series of intentional practices, we can provide, um, or sorry, by intentionally Um, and prayerfully developing a series of intentional practices, we can provide a trellis for God to increasingly grow his character and likeness in our lives. And so a rule of life is nothing more than a supporting structure. And it really captures the metaphor that Jesus himself uses in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me. Abide in me. And then he actually says, apart from me, You can do nothing. And it's when we remain in Christ, when we abide with him, that we then bear fruit. We start to see God's spirit start to transform our lives. And so simply put, a rule of life is simply a rhythm of practices that empowers us to live well and grow more like Jesus by helping us experience God in everything. It's having and living 
a well-ordered life. Now, there are many ways that you can craft a rule of life. Ken Shigematsu in his book has a number of categories that, that you can look at, and it's very comprehensive, and I thought that would be completely overwhelming if I ran through all of those. And so what I want you to know is that there's, there's no one right way to do this. And so you need to feel free to adapt, to change, to improvise, to interpret in ways that seem best to you. And as long as you understand it and makes sense to you, that's really good. But what I want to do is share with you five kind of angles or aspects of a rule of life that I use in my own life. And I'll give you some examples of the kind of rhythms and practices that I um, have in my own rule of life. And I use the word SPIRE as an acronym to help me remember this. I've shared this with you in the past as well. I don't know if you'll remember this, but it's easy to remember what the S, the P, the I, and the R, and the E is. You could be at a, at a coffee um, meeting with somebody as a friend, and you can just kind of recall these things if you remember the word spire. And you'll go, okay, so what is the S for? Spiritual. Spiritual. What is the spiritual aspect here that we're talking about, of course? It's our life with God. It's our relationship with Jesus. And the practices that we so often talk about at TCC, most of them are captured in this area of our life with God or these spiritual practices. For me, um, what has to be a non-negotiable essentially is a daily early morning quiet time. Some people call it devotions. Some people just use the word silence and solitude. Some of it just say, you know, being with Jesus, whatever. It doesn't matter. But what, it, what is it that you're actually doing there? You're finding time to get away by yourself. And if you're, you know, a mom or a dad and you got young kids, you know how difficult that is because they're tugging at your, you know, your, your legs and wanting attention and needing to be fed. So you have to think about, in my season of life, how could I spend time with God? I used to try to do it in the evening. That doesn't work for me. I get tired. I fall asleep. And, and so the first thing in the morning is where you need to start, where I need to start. And finding times of silence and solitude, just sitting with Jesus, being in conversation with him in prayer, reading the word. Another practice is to attend worship weekly. It's a great practice. And we think about, well, that's so obvious. Is it? But when we, when we say you know, gathering together with God's people has immense value in our lives. As a bit of an aside, but I think it's kind of interesting, is that what, one of the things that we notice at TCC, and I've never talked to other pastors about this, I should, it's always like we get a little bump up in regular attendance in January in the first few weeks. And I personally think that as people who've kind of maybe made a New Year's resolution that said, you know, we got a little irregular with our attendance last year, and we weren't there as regularly as we could have been. And so all of a sudden, we're coming back. If that describes you today, welcome. And, I, and, I, and if you make this part of your rule of life, a regular rhythm, you say, you know what? This is a weekly thing. It's important. The only reason I won't be there is if I'm sick or if I'm traveling. Maybe there's some other activity. I find other ways to engage. That's fine. But to, uh, to, to recognize it, and I'm going to say more about this in a second, but I want to say it now because I feel like I'm treading on dangerous territory right now. It's not to be legalistic about this. This isn't a have to. This is a get to. 
We have this remarkable freedom in Canada to gather in this way. That's why it's important. We get to do this. It's not that we have to. For us, for me, another spiritual activity, a practice is a weekly Sabbath. And I've had to play with this over the years to find something that works because, you know, in some way, and I hate to put it in these terms, but Sunday is kind of a work day for me, right? It's hard for me to sometimes really engage in worship because I'm thinking about what's coming next. I'm thinking about what the next thing is that I have to do or, you know, did this happen or was this taken care of and whatever those different things are. My mind can be in a very different space rather than just, just worship. And so to take a weekly Sabbath, for me now, I've decided to take that on Wednesdays. So from Tuesday at 6 p.m. at supper to Wednesday at 6 p.m., Tuesday 6 p.m., I shut the laptop. I'm laying down my tools for 24 hours. I'm ceasing from what is absolutely necessary and entering into a 24-hour period of rest. It's hard to do because there's always something that's tugging at our attention. Some of you work shift work and you work on Sunday. So, so how do you develop that rhythm of having a weekly Sabbath? And Pastor Adam is going to actually speak specifically to that practice next week about Sabbath. A monthly practice for me is a day of prayer and silence. We do this with, with our staff as well. So as you look at it, just spiritually, there, there can be a number of things that you can do. The point is getting to be with Jesus and engaging in those activities that help us to know him better, to walk with him, and to, uh, to be with him. Well, the P in SPIRE stands for physical. And I think it's important for us to, to, to maintain a good stewardship of our bodies, keeping them healthy and holy before God. Those, that's a very important piece, and I should have said this, that when we look at these pieces, as human beings, we're complex, and there's always these different aspects, and they're interrelated. But it's important for us to honor God with our bodies. And so to, to pay attention, for me, uh, one of the, the, the practices is to try to walk or exercise daily to close the rings. You know what that means, right? Those of you who have an Apple Watch that's tracking your activity, it, it's constantly reminding me, encouraging me, and giving me the little pep talk. You know, hey, you're off to a great start this morning, Norb. You're rocking it this morning because I got out for a walk that morning when maybe the next day I didn't. But that's a, a simple thing. If you have a Fitbit or a smartwatch or whatever it does, find a way to build some kind of daily exercise. We know that, that our doctors say that, that that is important for us. For me... This one may not fit with you, but it makes sense. My wife's going to laugh at this one because it's not something that happens as often as I like it to, but it's allow 15 minutes before meals to journal and plan my insulin protocol. Some of you know that I'm type 1 diabetic, and so I have to pay attention to these things, and I have to, you know, I have complicated um, ratios all throughout the day that change throughout the day and I'm always doing math in my head and totaling things up and sometimes you see me eat brunch and you're like you're really a diabetic yeah I, I blow it on Sundays all the time but <laughs> another big one physically for me is to try to consistently get to bed by 10 p.m. and wake up by 5 30 a.m. One of the things that I, that I find is that I can go to bed at 10 and wake up now without an alarm. My body's pretty much conditioned to that. 
Now, if I'm really tired, I've had a late night, then usually I'll, I'll sleep in a little bit longer and my alarm will wake me. But that's, that's important for us, for me. And I'll talk a little bit about how that plays out sometimes in reality. And then another weekly or physical thing is a weekly outdoor activity. In the summer, love to go biking, golfing. Those kind of activities are life-giving. And, um, and they're not outside the realm of what, where Jesus can meet us because God is in our everything. The I inspire. So we've got spiritual, physical, intellectual. And this is our creative outlets and ways in which we expand our knowledge and skills. Okay? Just the things where we engage our mind in, where we are learning something and maybe learning even a, a skill or expanding our knowledge in, a, in an area. And one of the areas that I know that I still need to grow in, but I, I do have it in my rule of life, is to reduce or eliminate what I call mindless time wasters. Limits on how I use technology is a big piece of that. I try to read for an hour every day. Throughout the day, I might get 15 minutes here or a half hour there. And then another one, because I believe it's part of the stewardship of how we engage in this, is to manage our finances. That there's a focus on the stewardship of our financial resources and thinking about how we might be able to be generous and a blessing to others as well. So the whole point of this intellectual aspect is where there's a regular intake of truth and teaching. Right Nowadays, there's no end to the, the podcasts that you can listen to or the sermons that you can listen to. But reading is a really healthy exercise. Studying the Bible is really good for you. And you might say, well, isn't that a spiritual um, activity? Yeah. But these activities, they can fit in more than one of these categories. So don't try to be too rigid about it. Just make sure that it makes sense to you. What are some of the things that you might do there? Then there's the relational component. This is really important because I think as a whole, we are relational beings created by a relational God. And so we're looking here now at connection, health, and vulnerability, very important, with others within family, friendships, and church community. It's one thing to just have friends or acquaintances, but I think it's a whole other thing to actually connect at a soul level where you recognize that God is at work in both of us and how can we encourage one another in our walk with Jesus? That's a really important piece. And so some of the rhythms for me that that are part of this is daily connection with Tina. And so if you came to our house early in the morning... Usually, Tina or I, one of us is up just before the other, and whoever is up has the responsibility to get the coffee ready. We get come down. If she beats me down, the coffee is already on the counter. We sit down. We have a bit of a connecting point, and then we kind of look at each other. And you know, sometimes it's just like, what, "What's up for your day today?" And you know, "What about last night?" Blah blah blah. And then it's like, "Okay, well, let's go have our quiet time." And it's encouragement to both of us. But we're in a completely different place than a lot of you because, well, we have young adult children, and only one of them lives at home. And so it's a very different place and a different season that we find ourselves in. And so we need to pay attention to these relational pieces. A weekly date with Tina. We've tried to now plan something on Wednesdays on our Sabbath that we would have coffee together or lunch. For me, a relational piece is a weekly visit with my dad. Um, Dad's 93. He's had declining health for a long time. His dementia is really, really bad. And so 
while he barely still will recognize me, uh, we really can't have a conversation, and it's hard to go. But I, I have to say this is part of my rhythm as this relationship is important. Trying to have a family dinner, maybe on a biweekly basis, meeting with my triad, meeting with our small group, a monthly meeting with my mentor. These are all things that find their way into my calendar very easily. Monthly connection with friends. So these are all different relational pieces, and you all have them. You, you know what they are. And lastly, this emotional component. And this one is a little bit tricky because it, it, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between kind of that intellectual, intellectual aspect. But when I use emotional, I see it this way. The condition of our thoughts and feelings, our outlook and disposition towards life. And this emotional piece, I believe, is connected to other aspects more than any other, right? And, and so when you think about it, like thinking back to the physical piece, because we're these complex human beings, when we're sick, how does that affect you? Well, you, you don't feel good even emotionally, right? It's not just a physical thing that takes, that takes place. It's connected to many other aspects. You see, peace and well-being are experienced when our activities are aligned with our values. And oftentimes, how we're feeling or our emotions is an indication of how we're doing in some of these other areas. And so, you know, relationally, if you are experiencing conflict with somebody, you're at odds with somebody, there's tension, right? Then emotionally you feel this. So, so what are some things you can do? Let me just tell you what I, what one of the practices for me, and this might sound a little bit strange, but about seven years ago, I knew, and I feel like it's a growth process that we're always doing, I needed to to deal with a little bit of my stuff. And so I went to see um, a Christian psychologist, um, and one of the questions that I had, I've told you some of this before, but I had this question about, am I dealing with depression? How do I know? I deal, like, how do I manage stress? Does it get me down? Am I dealing with some, you know, kind of low-grade depression? How do I process this stuff? And and he said something to me that I've never forgotten. And he said, you know, Norb, you, you aren't depressed, you know, at that point, but you have the tendency to become depressive. And right away it was like, oh, yeah. Like, and, I, and I feel that in my own life. I can get discouraged very easily. I can get down very easily. I'm sometimes my, heart, my, my worst critic uh, in, in ways. And so uh, that, that is something to, to process. But one of the things then he said, he goes, so the counter practice to that is, Watch your joy. And I've never forgotten that. So for me to just write down on a piece of paper that part of my rule of life is to watch my joy. Because that is an indication of really what's happening in my life at the time. And another piece for me is to ensure that I'm engaging in life-giving activities and hobbies. You know, just doing the things that bring joy uh, to my life. And so for you, you might look at other things. Maybe it's just, you know, the act of celebration, making sure that you, you celebrate birthdays in your family really well, or you celebrate anniversaries. Those are, those are important pieces. Now, just as I wrap this up, I know I'm giving you a bunch of information, but I'll explain what you can do with this in the next step. But I want to just give you just a couple of things to keep in mind as you think about potentially building a rule of life. First of all, start simply or start small. 
I just rattled off a lot of stuff that didn't just happen. It's been formed over a number of years and kind of tweaked a little bit. And so what I want to think, encourage you to do is think of one thing. What is one thing that you might add to your life that is currently missing? And now, in all likelihood, that means that you, have, you should probably take something away. But start simply or start small and then build slowly. Don't think that, you know, in three months you're going to have this well-developed, you know, rule of life and you're going to just feel like everything is well-ordered and your life is great. It's never been better. That's not the point. Just build slowly. You can, you can get there. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is prune regularly, right? This is a working document. It's not something written in stone. And just review it and revise it as necessary. It's also really important to be aware of your energy levels when you think about these things. Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? When do you have the most energy? Some of you go like, I got little kids at home. I'm just exhausted all the time. Um, Yeah, pay attention to that. Scale things back. Dial it back a little bit. It's okay. There's lots of grace. And so consider your life stage, right? Things would look very different if you're retired and you're not working full-time. If you're working part-time versus full-time, those all have an impact on the kinds of activities that you might engage in. But the whole point is that you engage in activities that draw us closer to Jesus and help form us to becoming more like him. And so stay flexible. This isn't a rigid or a legalistic to-do list. Right? It's not making a long list of to-dos and then at the end of the day going, man, I feel terrible because I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And that's why it's important to start small and build slowly. And lastly, I would suggest too, is include community. It's super important. Like if you choose to do this, then share it with others. Spend time with them. <coughs> In conclusion, um, we've given you two resources. Um, Last week, we gave you a time journal. I believe there's extras left on the Connection Center. And it's just a tool to simply track the use of your time. And when you track the use of your time, you will start to see maybe some patterns uh, that emerge of activities uh, and, and really a rule of life that you already have. Today, when you came in, you were handed another worksheet. It's really a rule of life, and it's identifying your current rule of life. So now it's taking the raw data that you collected on the sheet that we handed out last week and transferring it to this worksheet so you can start to see what are your daily activities in these aspects, these angles of spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional In order to help you process this a little bit more, because I know this has been a lot of information dump, um, is we have a workshop today that Anne and Marnie are going to be leading upstairs during brunch. If you have young children, but this is something that's resonating with you, and we hope it is, um, because we we think it's just super helpful. It's a great practice for us to have. Um, There's childcare even, so just encouraging you, if you want to go upstairs... Grab your brunch, go quickly to the, to the front of the line, and get upstairs. Um, you'll be meeting in the flex room, which is just down at the end of the hallway uh, up here. Um, but go upstairs. Even if you have your kids, they'll direct you to where you need to go. 
But take some time to process this in community. It's very important to, to be asking questions and having a space to do that. And that's what we're hoping to do there. And so you might just then fill out that chart that we have with some of your existing practices. And then look back, step back and look at it. Reflect on it and say, you know, are these things helping me move towards being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he did to experience life to the full? What is, in fact, missing from my current rhythms, habits, and practices? And this will inevitably result in uh, a couple of considerations. Number one, what needs to be removed or dialed back? What needs to be removed or dialed back? And then what needs to be added? So we're doing a little bit of life engineering. And I'm going to leave you with these words from Hebrews because I think, again that this speaks so clearly to this. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. It's pretty explicit, right? Throw off everything that hinders you in your walk with Jesus. Throw it off. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. Again, that, that image of effort. But let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But what are we going to do to provide the kind of structure where God's Spirit can work and do what only He can do? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for just really the testimony of your word, the invitation of Jesus himself to come and follow me. Father, I pray that when we talk about a rule of life, that it isn't seen in a negative light as a a long list of to-dos that's rigid and legalistic and things that I have to do, and then if I don't do them, I'm going to feel guilty and shame. But rather, Father, that we would see this as a life-giving activity. An activity that can help us live a well-ordered life. An activity that can help us make the most of every opportunity. An activity that, that in fact, helps us be very careful how we live. Not as unwise or foolish people, but as wise people. Who together want to follow you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus, be Lord of our lives. Be in our everything. Help us to see how our work, our family time, our activities around our friendships and our relationships. 
So Jesus, be the one. In your name we pray.